Hear now the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today is week two of our worship series meant to honor the spirit of Black History Month by amplifying the voices and celebrating the lives of four lesser known undersung black American preachers. Now each of these passionate, accomplished people preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just with their words, but also with their lives. They were each living witnesses to Christ's transformative love and grace. Their lives changed the religious and cultural landscape and inspired many who came after them, including a few who we know pretty well. Now, I regret that what I'll be able to share about these extraordinary people in the context of one sermon is quite limited, but the goal is that we would be introduced to four black Americans whose lives significantly impacted history, highlighting at least one of their major accomplishments and understanding how the gospel informed or inspired them and how their lives might inspire us to preach the gospel with our lives. Today we celebrate the Reverend Howard Thurman. He lived and lent his voice to history during the 20th century. He was born in the last year of the 19th century, 1899, and he lived until 1981. He is most well known um, as one of the principal architects of the modern nonviolent civil rights movement. Let's watch this brief video as an introduction. I will light candles this Christmas, candles of joy, despite all the sadness. Candles of hope where despair keeps watch. Candles of courage for fears ever present. Candles of peace for tempest-tossed days. Candles of grace to ease heavy burdens. Candles of love to inspire all my living. Candles that will burn all year long. These are words written by Howard Thurman one of the principal architects of the modern nonviolent civil rights movement and a key mentor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He played a leading role in many social justice movements and organizations during the 20th century. Thurman was born and raised in Daytona, Florida by his grandmother. There's a story that's told of a seventh grader that he was taken to the train station to board a train to Jacksonville, Florida to attend high school. But his family 
didn't give him enough money to check his luggage. And like any other child in a situation who's stranded, he simply sat down and cried. But a stranger covered his bill to ship his luggage. And then years later, when, he was, when that boy, Howard Thurman, became a man, he wrote, in his, he wrote his life story and he dedicated it to the stranger who restored my broken dream. Howard Thurman wasn't the dramatic public activist. He went about giving the downtrodden people hope to continue the journey toward equality. Thurman understood what the dark of hopelessness was like. He was a second generation out of slavery, and he knew the stories. He knew people needed to see just a glimmer of light if they were to continue on what the world needed them to do. That's the gift of Howard Thurman. He provides a glimmer of light and hope that will burn all year long when we're faced with the darkness of the world. That's the gift of Howard Thurman. Reverend Jackie Freeman says, he provides a glimmer of light and hope that will burn all year long when we're faced with the darkness of the world. I love that story about Howard Thurman's journey to high school. But when I first heard that story, I wondered why anyone would travel 100 miles or more to go to high school. And what I learned is at that time in Florida, that was one of only three high schools that were open to African-American students. And Howard Thurman took his education very seriously. After high school, he earned his bachelor's degree at Morehouse College before earning a master's in divinity from Rochester Theological Seminary. And he graduated from both of those programs as valedictorian. Along the way, he was ordained as a Baptist minister at the First Baptist Church of Roanoke, Virginia, and he served as pastor of several churches throughout his career, and also served as the professor of religion and dean of chapel at several universities. In the spring of 1929, Thurman studied mysticism at Haverford College with a Quaker named Rufus Jones. Mysticism became a prominent part of Thurman's theology. As a mystic, he grounded himself, or he grounded his life in the idea that life is alive with creative intelligence. This comes through in his theology of nonviolence. In 1936, he became the first person to lead a delegation of African Americans to India to meet with Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi's ideas also had a huge impact on his theology and ministry. Not long after meeting with Gandhi, Thurman helped to establish the Church for the Fellowship of All People in San Francisco. He co-pastored Fellowship Church, as it's affectionately known, from 1944 to 1953. This was the first major interracial interfaith church that spanned a range of social classes in the United States. 
It truly brought together a diverse congregation to worship God and to be in fellowship with one another. The church has been designated as a National Historic Landmark for its creative ecclesiology and pioneering social vision. Howard Thurman was also a prolific writer. He wrote 20 books on theology, religion, and philosophy. In his most famous work, Jesus and the Disinherited, Thurman develops the ideas that he learned from Gandhi, in particular his nonviolent approach to violence and oppression. And he offers the vision of practicing spiritual disciplines, specifically the spiritual disciplines of love and forgiveness, as a response to resentment and as a strategy for liberation. This book became very influential for many of the civil rights uh, leaders of the time. Thurman was a classmate of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s father and a friend at Moorhead College. And Thurman later became a mentor and spiritual advisor to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, and it's rumored that MLK carried a copy of that book with him wherever he traveled. In addition to King, Thurman influenced many other civil rights leaders, both black and white. He influenced a woman who we will meet in a couple of weeks. She's um, a lesser known preacher named Polly Murray. We'll learn about her. In 1953, he became the Dean of Marsh Chapel at Boston University, which made him the first African-American to hold such a position of influence in a majority white university. In July of 1963, Reverend Thurman preached a sermon at Marsh Chapel titled Violence and Nonviolence in which he lays out his theology of nonviolence grounded in the scripture that we just read from the Sermon on the Mount. In particular, remember these words. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, Jesus preaches, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. In Thurman's sermon, he says that faith is given or gift. It's a part of what he refers to or thinks of as the givenness of God. And this given faith, he says, is expressed in terms of humanity's deepest need, which is both to be cared for and to care for others. He's speaking of a reciprocity of caring that's foundational to our individual and communal existence. Again, rather than summarize all of his words, and in the spirit of amplifying the voices of undersung black preachers, I, preachers, I want to quote a little bit from his sermon. He says, another way to say that and the that is this reciprocal caring um, that he talks about as our deepest need. He says, another way to say that is that it is an expression of the fact that all life belongs together. 
and that wherever any expression of life denies this, then there is something deep within the, within the individual that says that this is not in accordance with the law of life. And it's within this context that he then looks at violence and nonviolence, saying, now violence. Violence is a form of force that has as its purpose either imposition of the private or collective will upon the object of the violence, or it has as its object the destruction of the violent one. So that violence becomes a method by which men seek to impose their will upon another in a manner that at once confirms the unity that springs up out of this basic sense about which I've been talking. For if I can bring my will to bear upon your will so that my will dominates your will, then this is my way of including you in community. And I must have you. And if I cannot have you on a voluntary basis, then I will have you by the exercise of this kind of power. Now, individuals who are responding to violence usually find that they must protect themselves from violence by countering it in some way. And the most fundamentally historic way to counter violence is with violence or with flight. You fight or you run. And if you fight, then you're saying that the person who exercises violence against you wills your non-existence if you will not come in and be as he is. And the violence in its logic, therefore, is the destruction of the life. It is the implementation of the will to the non-existence of another. Now, when I'm dealing with violence, Thurman says, I recognize within myself that I'm dealing with something that wills my extermination. And the most logical thing for me to do then is to affirm my own existence. And the only way that I can affirm my own existence in this particular context is to meet an affirmation of non-existence with an affirmation of non-existence. So violence tends to multiply itself in terms of hatred and all the things that go with it. Now violence, he says, is quick, and it's very often effective. He goes on to make an analogy to parenting. Those of us who have kids probably remember those days when our little cherubs would be very willful and we needed them to do something, and in our impatience and in our urgency to get them to do what we wanted, Maybe we resorted to violence or threats of violence or threats of punishment, which works in the moment. Oftentimes, it does bend their will in the moment, but Thurman points out their spirit has remained untouched. It's for this reason, he goes on, that violence is the instrument of national policy wherever there are governments and states because this is the way by which response Obedience can come without obtaining the assent of the individual. Now the thing that is wrong, or in my judgment, evil, Thurman says, about violence, is the fact that it makes for isolation between expression of life that belongs together. It cuts off the possibility that I will be able in a given time interval to care for you and to experience your caring for me. 
Now, nonviolence is a form of force which has another purpose in mind. The purpose of nonviolence is to get the assent, to get the yes of the other person. Thurman goes on to lay out a means of undermining violence and systems that perpetuate violence by responding with a nonviolent wit witness, which he says carries the weight of its morality into the society with the creative result of removing the things that in the first place called it forth. So this nonviolent appro approach works to eradicate all of the barriers that separate people, which leads him to circle back to his original introductory pr premise as he proclaims, what I am saying to you this morning is that once the barrier is removed by this process, the way is clear for the first time for the real thing, the real building of community, the real thing that is fundamental in what I am calling the givenness of God, this faith, this thing that expresses itself in the need to care for and to be cared for, that is now ready to be operative. Thurman could pack a lot into a sermon <laughs> on a Sunday morning. I wanna just summarize briefly what he was saying. So faith, he says, is a part of this givenness of God. It's expressed as this deep reciprocal need to, get, uh, to care for others and to be cared for. Violence is a form of force meant to impose the will of one person or system or institution or society onto another person or community or society which erects barriers between people, which disrupts this reciprocal caring that we're called to. Now the instinctual and historical response to violence is violence as both parties seek to affirm their own existence, which means that violence perpetuates and escalates violence. A non-violent response to violence, Thurman says, can work to undermine or destabilize the entity that is violently imposing their will. And nonviolence does this with or through the weight of its moral witness. And when this happens, barriers are removed and humans can live into their most fundamental need to care for and to be cared for by others. Now, admittedly, a nonviolent approach can be laborious, can take a long time to be effective, and it's a labor of love, sacrificial love that seeks and recognizes reconciliation as the fundamental gift that we can offer at God's altar. Jesus proclaimed, first be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift to God. During the season of Lent, we'll be participating in a worship series and church-wide Sunday school offering called Return to God, Ourselves, and Each Other. We have been silently separated for too long by political divisiveness and the complications of a pandemic, among other things. During this 
reflective season, we're going to relearn some ways of communicating, and we're going to work to more deeply reconnect. As I was reading about and learning about Reverend Howard Thurman this week, it struck me that much of what we'll be reflecting on and learning during the Lenten season is similar. Learning and practicing respectful and compassionate communication skills meant to help us better understand one another so that we can then return to or enhance that caring reciprocity. It takes patience, it takes commitment, it takes perseverance, and it requires vulnerability and personal sacrifice and the hope, the light that it shines into our world is that it can remove barriers and disrupt and undermine the polarization that we're experiencing in our world today. If we are willing to leave our gift at the altar and go and first be reconciled with our siblings, we then, as reconciled individuals and communities, become the gift that we offer to God. I will light candles this Christmas, candles of joy despite all sadness, candles of hope where despair keeps watch, candles of courage where fear is ever present, Candles of peace, peace for tempest-tossed days. Candles of grace to ease heavy burdens. Candles of love to inspire all my living. Candles that will burn all the year long. You'll notice this grouping of four candles on this side of the table. We've lighted those candles, uh, one each, for the four black American preachers and activists that we're talking about and learning from during this worship series. Each of them, in their own way, were a light that shined bright and still burns, illuminating the gospel of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that all of our lives would shine bright providing a glimmer of light and hope that will burn all year long. May it be so. Amen.